If you got Messiah and you reject the commandments, you're in trouble. If you got the commandments and you reject Messiah, you're in trouble. You need both. And this is the patience of the saints. Those who have faith in Yeshua and who keep the commandments of Yehovah. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Yeshua said to his disciples in Matthew 5.20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness succeed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness and religion existed before Yeshua began his ministry. The righteous religious scribes and Pharisees held the people to a religious standard determined by them, and those who failed to live up to the standards were considered sinners compared to the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Join us in this remarkable exchange as Yeshua challenges the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees from the scriptures and attempt to reveal their righteousness as sinful as they attempt to expose him as a sinner. The message in today's podcast is righteous sinners. So let's study. We're going to be in Matthew chapter number nine. And as I stated, we're going to be looking at the first 13 verses of Matthew chapter nine. And we're going to, we're going to deal with this subject because one of the things that, that I have had to do and, and, and occasionally I have to do is I have to check myself. And the reason why I have to check myself is because If you're not careful, you can see yourself as better than other people in the sense that you look down upon them. And and we don't ever want to get to that place. Now, I have no problem acknowledging and admitting that I'm holier than some of the people that I encounter. Does that make me holier than thou? In their case, yes. I acknowledge the fact that I'm holy. We all should acknowledge the fact that we're holy. But what we also have to be careful of is that our holiness is not defined by some denomination. That our holiness is not defined by some religion. Because there are religious holiness that have the appearance of holiness that is not holiness at all. You see, I grew up in an environment where women weren't supposed to wear pants. And it's like, well, where did that come from? That was the interpretation of the denomination. Where women couldn't wear um, certain, certain couldn't wear jewelry. Where did that come from? That was the interpretation of the denomination where um, men weren't supposed to wear certain colors like this. Red represents the devil. So wearing red now is like this preacher's got a lot of nerve to come up in here with a red tone. That's the devil's color. At what point did the devil's color become red? How do we get the impression of the devil being red to begin with? 
We've got all these these ideas in our head that have been put in us by our religion. And because of these ideas, doctrines and things that we've been taught, we look at the world around us through those lens and we judge and condemn people because they don't align themselves with our doctrinal viewpoint And even us, we have to admit the fact that although we read from the same Bible, that the church denomination that we grew up in had its own form of holiness and what that meant. Another church and its denomination had its form of holiness and what that meant. And everybody now is competing and confused and looking at people who don't subscribe to their denominational belief of holiness is condemned damned and of the devil. And what we want to do, even when it comes down to righteousness, because I have no problem acknowledging the Bible says that we're supposed to be holy, but what does that mean? Who defined that holiness? Jehovah or my church? If the Bible says, seek first his righteousness and you know, Seek first the righteousness of Elohim and all of the things in the world shall be added unto us. Who defines what that righteousness is? We have to be careful that we don't become self-righteous. When we become self-righteous, we beat in our breast and comparing ourselves to people who don't who don't believe, stand, walk like we believe, who don't talk like we talk who don't look like we look, we look. And we have to be careful that we don't find ourselves operating in a righteousness that is human defined, denominational defined, church defined, that does not necessarily align itself with what the Bible considers to be righteous. And it's unfortunate that churches that reject the Torah, ch- churches that reject the law, reject the righteousness of God because the law is righteous. So if you reject the law, which is righteous, which came from the righteous one, and you uphold some other doctrine that is in op- opposition to the law, then you're operating in a different righteousness than the law, which is righteous. I'm 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 gonna, I'm I'm gonna preach today. I, I'm gonna see if I can get my my preaching voice. <laughs> Gotta look. Anyway, the the bow tie gave it away. Oh man, I haven't worn a bow tie in a long time, haven't I? But anyway, now I just gotta find my my stuff. It's here. I just don't know how to use this. I'm sure it'll show up. All right. So again, we are, we are where? We're in Matthew chapter nine. And again, remember that Yeshua. Okay, let's see here. Those of you who who know computers, you get accustomed to a certain computer, and I got to get accustomed to this thing all over again. Remember passwords that I don't 
Mm. That didn't do it. Okay, I think, you know, those of you who, who follow us, you know, from time to time, I amaze myself. And that's, that's all right. You know, I, I have to remember the fact that I am 62. Most of my, most of my uh, um, schoolmates don't, still don't have, have an email. And if they do, <laughs> they forgot it. The password or, you know, some of y'all know, if you go back, you see some of these folks, they don't fool with technology because technology is of the devil. <laughs> that's, that's the anti-Messiah. That's the mark of the beast. Uh, come on, folks. But anyway, let's see here. I think I'm there. You got me, Jonathan? Let me know when you do. Thank you. All righty. So we're in again for the fifth or sixth time. Matthew uh, chapter number nine. We're going to be looking at uh, verses one through 13. And at the end of our teaching today, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to ask questions to receive prayer, to give, and we're going to share some announcements because we are in a uh, new annual season beginning hopefully tomorrow night or Monday night. We'll know um, tonight, right? We'll know tomorrow. Okay. We'll know tomorrow. So, if you, if you have questions, then I suspect that there will be uh, some questions because I'm going to tell you right now, I've already stepped on my toes. I've stepped on a few toes uh, in my mind. And if your toe gets stepped on today, just say, ouch, and keep it moving. All right? The, 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 the sob of the Holy Spirit will be here to help us through. But I suspect that that's going to be the case. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your mercies. We thank you for waking us up this morning. We thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for not holding our sins against us. Thank you for recognizing that we're just dust and that as human beings, we're, we're frail and, and weak which is why you have made available your presence, your power, your, your spirit to, to quicken our spirit and to cause us to move into that born again mindset. You said that in that we, we have to renew our minds. And, and when we're honest with ourselves, because many of us, we come uh, to this place in our lives as adults, minds already made up about a lot of things, philosophies of how we're going to live, ideas of what we want our lives to be like. 
we have plans, we, we make goals, we, we have this, this, this understanding of where we want to be when we're 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and, and so on, even into retirement. We've got all these ideas that have been put in us, not by your word, but by the society, the world that we live in. And then you come along, you save us, and then tell us we got to renew our mind. Without fully understanding that, many of us think that means memorizing scriptures and going to church and, and learning how to talk like a Christian or like a Jew or like a Messianic or like a Hebrew or anything other than what we have been accustomed to. And yet, for most of us, our minds are already made up how we're going to live our lives. We know that to renew our mind is that we now have to think kingdom. We don't even understand kingdom, most of us, because we've not been raised in a kingdom or, an, or a kingdom environment. Been in a democracy or some form of other governmental structure. But now that we've come into your kingdom while living in the world, in the kingdom of men, you're instructing us that we can no longer think like men, lest we be destroyed like men. You've called us to take on the image and likeness in which you made us in, to take on the mind of Messiah, to walk upright, to be holy, to be perfect even. And we have no idea what that means. But we know that as we walk with you, you reveal yourself to us. You give us understanding. You give us clarity. And you help us to conform into the image of Yeshua, meaning that we have to be transformed, no longer conforming to the images and patterns of this world. Although we are surrounded by people who are conformed to the images and patterns of this world. Help us to be that peculiar people. Help us to be that royal priesthood. Help us to be that holy nation that you've called us to be. And even today, speak to us. Give us clarity of thinking and understanding. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Help us to, to renew our minds the way it's pleasing to you. Forgive us of our sins, our transgressions, our, our attitudes, Forgive us of everything that is not of you. And so we just surrender ourselves to you today. We submit ourselves to you. And we pray that you will manifest yourself in the midst of us. We declare this ground to be holy, this people to be holy, as we present ourselves to you, the Holy One. We decree that no weapons formed against us shall prosper, but that your perfect will be accomplished in us today. And we thank you, we bless you, we honor you in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Hallelujah. So again, we are in Matthew. We're in the 20, um, I'm, a verse, I'm sorry, the ninth chapter. And we're going to be looking at the first 13 verses. And we're going to be talking about righteous sinners. Righteous sinners. 
as I said, Yeshua said to his disciples in Matthew 5.20, and, and what we've encouraged in encouraging people as we're going through, the reason why we're doing the verse-by-verse verse study is because we're taking a book of the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end. And what that does for us is hopefully puts us in the framework of the writer. Because all of these books of the Bible were written by individuals and they were not written in chapter and verse. They were written as a continual form of thought, as especially in the gospel. They captured the ministry of Messiah from their perspective. And so when we have topical sermons or sermons that, you know, from week to week, it changed from what book you're in or what topic you're on, then it's easy to miss so much that is written in the writings of the end of the writings that these individuals have provided for us. And so here in Matthew, it's important as we're going through Exodus or any book of the Bible that we remember the, the, the last things that have happened because they all build and lead up, even though sometimes it's not in a chronological order. And so in chapter five, Matthew uh, had already recorded something Yeshua said when he said, for I say unto you that your righteousness, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So here, here we're looking at two righteousness. It's saying, except your righteousness exceed their righteousness. And so now the question is, is what's the difference? What's the difference between the righteousness, is, uh, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? We identified the scribes or where? who? The teachers of the law. So when Messiah came, there were individuals whose responsibility and title involved teaching the law. You may even say, if we were to bring that into our day, it would be those who go through the process of going through law school. It would be the, the people who are responsible for representing you in a court of law because they know the law, they've studied the law, and even in this particular you know, United States, every state has its own ordinances, its own laws. So a lawyer from North Carolina would find it difficult to represent somebody in Georgia. Why? Because Georgia has a whole nother set of laws. And then you have the bar. And then you have the, the judges. And so what you find is that the scribes were like the lawyers who studied law and was responsible for interpreting law which made them what? Lawyers. And so when Messiah came, the scribes were those who interpreted the law. Whose law? That's the question. Because as we've been going through, uh, we went through John and, and, and we've looked at other New Testament books of the Bible that when we were going through Roman, you have Roman law. You have Israel's law. You have the law of the Sadducees, you have the law of the Pharisees, and then the, the scribes who were either Pharisees or Sadducees or neither. And so you had a different understanding and a different interpretation depending on the person who is the scribe. 
By the time we got to Matthew chapter 7, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, the people said, listen, this man, Yeshua, teaches as one having authority, not like the scribes. So Messiah's understanding of the law, the scribes, Sadducees, and the Pharisees' understanding of the law, even Herod, let's remember, we got the law of Herod, because Messiah said, beware of the scribes, beware of the Pharisees, beware of the Sadducees, and beware of the Herodians. The Herodians were the people who followed Herod. Here, in a, if, if I could break this down, the, the scribes would be a denomination. The, the, the Pharisees would be a different denomination. The Sadducees would be a different denomination. Herod would be the government. Now, here in our nation, we have um, Republicans and Democrats. And so you have two, two actual ideologies of an approach to the government here in the United States. When it comes down to what was going on in the time of Yeshua, you got these individuals who are interpreting the law. You've got the Pharisees interpretation, the Sadducees interpretation, and then you got Herod, who is the, the king, pseudo king, if you would, that now is making law for the people of the region. Of course, this is influenced by what? Roman law. And so Messiah says, except the people righteousness exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, they shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what is he saying? The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was not the kind of righteousness that would allow them to enter into the kingdom. Now, it may serve well in their church. It may, well, it may serve well in their synagogue, but their righteousness was based on some form that was established by them, not by him. So Messiah is saying to his disciples, listen, if you're going to enter into the kingdom, you can't enter in with the righteousness that they've been teaching you. You can't enter in with the understanding that they've been teaching you. You're going to have to exceed their understanding. Now, how do you exceed the understanding? I mean, you know, it's like going into the courtroom and representing yourself, saying, I don't want a lawyer. In some cases, you might be better off. Especially these court-appointed lawyers. You hear what I'm saying? But you're going to have to know the law if you're going to represent yourself. And so in this particular case, Messiah is saying, listen, Except your righteousness exceed their righteousness, you will not enter in. Righteousness and religion existed before Yeshua began his earthly ministry. The righteous religious scribes and Pharisees held the people to a religious standard that were determined by them. Those who failed to live up to the standards were considered sinners compared to the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, I don't know about you, but I've... I've lived a while in, in, in America, and I've spent a lot of time um, evaluating churches and being a part of churches and ministering in churches and being trained by, by church leadership. 
And I've, I've come to realize that in some of the places that I've been in, we declared the folks who were across the streets as not being saved. If the people didn't speak in tongues, and it wasn't just tongues, it was, you know, you had to be baptized in Jesus' name, or you had to be, you know, a person who was baptized in Jesus' name shunned the person who was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because that was the wrong baptism. If a person didn't speak in tongues, they didn't have the Holy Ghost. If a person dressed a certain way, they weren't saved. Because we've got these ideas of what it means to be saved. Now, Yeshua challenges the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees from the scriptures. Yeshua attempts to reveal their righteousness as sinful as they attempt to expose him as a sinner. Sounds familiar? The stand most of us have made have put us in the category of fallen from grace. The people who make those statements basically are saying we're going to hell. Now you can twist it any way you want to, but if we're saved by grace, according to them, and you have fallen from that grace that you were saved that's just like the man in the garden who failed. Your, your state now is worse than it was before. <laughs> you get this? If you have fallen from grace, then you're not saved by grace anymore. You're now trying to earn your salvation. You're trying to keep the law to, 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 to appease him. So hopefully, you know, he will let you into heaven when these folks are saying, no, you don't have to do nothing. All you have to do is believe and appropriate what Jesus did in his blood. We're under the blood, brother. We can pray over this swine and eat it if we want to. We can pray over this stuff God says is not food and determine it to be food if we want to. We can decide whatever day we want to worship him, regardless of what day he says, remember and keep holy. Basically, we run the show now. Now, brother, it's not like we don't we don't run the show. It's not like we run the show. We kind of. You know, we, we just we just have a different way of seeing things, a different way of seeing things than who? The one you serve. Are you saying that his his way is not good enough no more or that 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 somehow he got confused and he said, hey, I made a big mistake. So I'm going to send Jesus and he going to correct all those mistakes I made. So he's going to come and tell you, you don't have to do none of the stuff I told you to do. <laughs> Just believe him. Well, no, 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 believe in him. I hope anyway. So when it comes down to it, Yeshua attempts to reveal their righteousness as they try to expose him as a sinner. 
After ministering to the man with legions who had been cast into the swine, Yeshua returns back to Capernaum on the upside of the sea. Verse 1, and he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And here's something, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, when we fully grasp this kingdom mind, you will see yourself differently. I refuse to allow somebody to condemn me. I don't, I don't let people speak words of condemnation and let those words hang. I will rebuke a person in a moment. You know, if you want to speak that crap over you, then that's your business. If you want to speak mess and nonsense over your life, that's your business. But don't, don't speak it over me because I refuse to allow you to bring me under your spirit. And let me tell you something. Every day... There are people who are trying to bring you under their spirit. They want you to comply to them. Now, imagine that you're trying to get your, your wife to comply. Your wife is trying to get you to comply. Your children is trying to get you to comply. You're trying to get your children to comply. Your parents are trying to get you to comply. Your boss is trying to get you to comply. Everybody is trying to bring you under their spirit. And telling you and giving you reasons, whatever those reasons are and wherever those reasons come from as to why you should comply. Now, if we were all trying to comply to him, guess what? We wouldn't be trying to make everybody else comply to us. So Yeshua, he does something here and he gives us this ability. He demonstrates his power over sin. He demonstrated his power over sin. Verse two, and behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed. And Yeshua, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven. It's like, hold on a sec. Now you got to see this. The man is sick of the palsy. And you're telling him. Your sins be forgiven. Did, did they bring the man to Yeshua for him to forgive the man's sin? Or did they bring the man to Yeshua for Yeshua to heal the man? Why did they bring him? See, this is the way you got to see this passage. Did they bring him to be forgiven? Or did they bring him to be healed? And what Yeshua is saying and showing us here is that even though we've, we've read the story of the man born blind, it wasn't because his mother sinned. It wasn't because his father sinned. It wasn't because he sinned. This was done that the glory of the almighty may be revealed. But let us understand something. Sickness and disease and death came through the world through sin. Man fell in the garden. Satan brought man under his authority when man was given authority over the devil to guard and to keep the garden, to listen to one voice instead of another voice. It was when they listened to that other voice that they found themselves losing their authority. And as a result of that, one man, because of his action, brought the entire world of mankind under sin. This is what Romans deals with in detail. And so this particular sickness, Yeshua is saying, listen, your sins be forgiven. 
your sins be forgiven. Your sins be forgiven was his way of bringing healing to the man. Think about it. If your sickness is caused by sin and your sin is forgiven and go away, what happens to the sickness? It goes away with it. Many people don't realize that their sickness is associated with sin. They don't realize that their mental health, their mental issues is associated with sin. Their anguish, their hate, their bitterness is associated with sin. Why? Because they don't understand what sin is for the most part. Some do. And yet, even though some understand what sin is, there are supposedly righteous people who are continuing in a sinful lifestyle. How can you be righteous and a sinner? And what Yeshua does is he said, listen, you're in the condition you're in mentally and physically because of sin. But in order for you to understand how to get out of this sickness or this mental trap you're in, you're going to have to recognize the sin that has brought you under it. Remove the sin from your life so that you can walk in the freedom that you have been ordained to walk in. See, that's the purpose of why Messiah came. He came to restore life. He came because we were bound. Bound by what? Fallen nature. Through him, he brings life. And now all we have to do is grab a hold of this life, this abundant life, and leave that old lifestyle which put us in the condition we were in before he came. Many people who are dealing with sickness was dealing with sickness before they got saved. And are dealing with some of the same sickness after they're saved. Well, what happened to this abundant life? See, if your mind hasn't been renewed, if you don't understand how sickness and disease come in, what will you do? You'll keep thinking the same way. You'll keep eating the way you ate before. You'll keep practicing some of the same stuff you practiced before. You're still cussing and, 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 and getting mad and, and angry and taking on offense and, and trying to control and operate in witchcraft as you did before. Because I'm going to tell you something. There is a vulnerability that comes when we come into faith in Messiah. And that vulnerability is like this. I used to control my life up until this point. Now, I'm supposed to surrender that control to him. Now, that would be easy if everybody around me surrendered that control to him too. But the problem I'm having is I'm, not, I'm the only one surrendering up in here. And nobody else seems to care who about surrendering to him. And I got to live amongst these people. So how can I completely surrender my life to him surrounded by people who ain't surrendered? They're going to take advantage of me. They're going to try to walk all over me. They're going to try to use me as a doormat. 
Oh, no, I got to keep some of this flesh now. I got to keep some of this to keep these folks at bay. And some of us will say, well, you know, don't, don't, don't make that old man show up. Well, why would the old man show up if you've put the old man to death? See, let me tell you something. Some of us keep that old man around because of certain people in our lives. Uh, that, hold on, saved me. Uh, just, just, just hold on a minute, because now, I, you know, I got to deal with this, and, 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 and I can't deal with this with the saved mindset. I'm gonna have to come down the middle. You know what I'm saying? And that's the vulnerability we find ourselves in, because we're afraid of somebody taking advantage of us who ain't solely surrendered to him like we're supposed to be. And so he says, son, be of good cheer. Your sin is forgiven. The people who brought the man brought the man to Yeshua in faith. Faith for what? That he would be healed. Why? Because of all the other healings that have taken place. Seeing the faith of one who brought him caused Yeshua to encourage the man to be of good cheer. So what does he see? Yeshua saw them who brought him and then said to the man, because in one sense, it's like, you know what? You got some people who care about you. You got some people who are willing to go through what they've gone through to get you to where you are in front of me. And they must care about you a lot because I could see in their eyes. Faith. The faith in the first place was for them to come to the conclusion. If we can get this man to Yeshua, he'll be healed. No different than the woman who said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. The word palsy there is paralyzed, paralytic. This man was suffering to where he could not move his own muscles or his nerves or he had disabled or weak limbs. This is why they're bringing him. He can't bring himself. Yeshua does not reveal the sins that gave place to the sickness of the palsy, but he connects the condition of palsy to the man's sin. And he says, the Bible tells us in Romans, the wages of sin is what? Death. What does sin do? Sin brings death in your life. Now, if we look at the case of sin in the garden, it didn't bring the instant death, but there was a progression. There was a progression the moment you give a little place to the devil is the moment the enemy develops a hold. He's got an entrance. And if you don't deal with that entrance that the enemy developed a hole, you know, got in, what do you think he's coming in to do? He's coming to steal, to kill, and ultimately to destroy. The end of the place to the devil is going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to death in many cases. That's the wages of sin. So when we give place to sin, it's generally a temptation to us. You know why people commit fornication? Because they are under the impression that it's going to make them feel good for a moment. That's what they do. Anything that that 
tempts us gives us an impression of some kind of pleasure, even if it's momentarily. The impression of pleasure can lead to a habit. And this is how people get addicted to things that they find themselves very hard to break free of, even though they claim to be saved. What they don't realize is that they have power over sin. But that's not what the church taught us. The church taught us we're sinners. If I'm being taught that I'm a sinner, then I have no power over sin because I'm a sinner and that's what I do. I have no control over this. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Right? It's grace, brother. It's grace because I have no control. I have no power. No, that's not what the Bible teach. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Yeshua teach. You see, how can I minister to people if I don't know how to minister to myself? And in order for me to minister to myself, if, if, if I don't see the connection of my salvation to the renewing of my mind, I will never be able to effectively minister to myself because my mind will always be counter to the renewal that it's supposed to encounter. When my mind is renewed, when I'm renewing my mind, I now have to come to the conclusion that the way I think has to now change and that that change now has to align with the way Messiah thinks. Because Messiah was able to effectively walk this walk in human form. Now, some of us, we want to say, well, you know, Yeshua came and he was God when he came. And there's no way we can live according to him because he was God. No, he left his home in glory. He left his authority. He left his power. He came through the womb of a woman. He was raised with brothers and sisters just like the rest of us. And these brothers and sisters, over the time that he lived with them, they didn't see him as God. They saw him as somebody who had some mental issues. That's how they saw him. Man, this, you know, we, we know you, you are our brother, but, but man, our brother's a little strange. He is. I think we need to have him looked at because he's saying some stuff. It don't make sense to none of us. But his mom, because she had this word, paid attention. And ultimately, they realized he wasn't crazy like he thought, like they thought he was. And what does that say? When your mind begins to be renewed according to the way Messiah's mind operate, folks are going to start thinking you're crazy. Why? Because you don't think like them. You don't operate like them. That doesn't give you an excuse to be weird and quirky. But what should occur 
is that your life will start to align more and more with the life of Messiah. I'm not trying to follow Paul. I don't have to follow Paul. You know why? Because the very book that reveals Paul to me is the same book that reveals Messiah to me. So why would I follow Paul? See, Paul could say, follow me as I follow Messiah because Messiah hadn't been revealed to those people. They didn't have a New Testament. Their only encounter with the idea of how Messiah lived was through the example of Paul, who was the only person at the time who could tell them about Messiah because they didn't experience Messiah, nor did they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So why would I be trying to follow Paul? Paul didn't die for me. He wasn't, and and that's not to say or minimize anything Paul wrote. But anybody, anytime somebody want to bring Paul to me, I'm saying, well, what did Messiah say about that? At what point in human history did what Paul say get exalted above what Yeshua says? Because people want to use Paul to argue against Yeshua. Wait a minute, who followed who? Did Messiah follow Paul? Or did Paul follow Messiah? So I don't have to follow Paul. I got Messiah to follow. I don't want to have the mind of Paul. My desire is to have the mind of Messiah. Paul didn't die to give me abundant life. Messiah gave his life. He paid the price. So who am I going to listen to? So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to understand Yeshua's teachings through the writings of Paul. I just want to make sure that when I read Paul, Paul is aligning up with what Messiah wrote or said. And whenever there's a question, who do you default to? Paul? See, Paul, Paul didn't, he didn't save nobody. And again, I'm not knocking Paul. I'm just saying people want to use, listen, if you've got Yeshua and you got Paul right there in front of you, which one are you going to follow? Hello? It's amazing that people got the, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Judd. And they see what I argue Paul. That's just a side note. Because Paul made some very interesting remarks and statements based on his encounter with the Almighty that we need to take note of. James wrote, blessed is the man that endures temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which Jehovah has promised to them that love him. So what is he saying? Temptation is coming to your house. Temptation is coming to you. What areas are you tempted by? What is it? What is it in your life, in your world that causes you to violate what he said? Know this, that whatever temptation you experience, it brings some kind of pleasure to you.
Brother, by the looks of those those that, that you're getting on, on that phone, I, I encourage you to turn that ringer off because I'd hate for those looks to manifest in action. Catch yourself how you look at folks sometimes. If looks could kill, some of us be dead. I'm, I'm so thankful looks, looks can't kill. But do you know that if, if you catch somebody looking at you in, a, in one of those kinds of ways, it'll mess with you a little bit. Why is it, why, how somebody look at you messing with you? You know why? Because you're seeing yourself through their eyes. <laughs> you don't like, I don't like the way you're looking at me. But how am I looking at you like that? Like how? So now you've interpreted my look, right? And it don't sound like it's good. I'm telling you folks, man, folks be coming at us all kinds of ways and you just have to be aware of how the enemy uses those things around you to bring you under its power. Because if you look at me a certain way and I start misbehaving, what is the root of my misbehavior? Your look. Your look caused me to behave a certain way. Why? I gave your look power. I gave the way you look at me power. Mm. You have people do you like, mm. <laughs> Next thing you know, you mad because they said, mm. You just gave that power and we have to learn not to release our power to other people because remember all people everybody you got to see it this way is trying to bring you underneath their spirit it's all about vying for control it happens in conversation this is why people talk over people this is why people don't let people finish their statements. I find myself doing that. It's like I don't like the direction of something and I change the, the conversation or I don't let you finish because I assume I know what you're going to say. Then why don't I let you finish and be sure? I got to work at that. That's a, that's a, a, a fleshly flaw. And, and I'm going to tell you something. We are fleshly flawed. You may be good and saved, but you fleshly flawed. And that flesh will rise up on you if you're not careful. He says, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when? He is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You got to deal with the issues within you. This is the issues you got to deal with. If, if, if you have, I remember back in the day when I gave myself over to drugs. And the craving of, of drugs was there. Well, once that craving hits, what do you do? 
you're trying to find it. If you crave food, if, if you got an eating, eating addiction, you get a craving and what do you do? If you, if you got a cigarette habit, you crave cigarette. If you got a pornography habit, you start craving it. What do you do? Whenever there is something within you that you crave, what is it going to do? It's going to drive you to it. To keep from being driven by that craving or that temptation, you got to now confront it. Are you going to allow your temptation or your craving to drive you or are you going to be led by the spirit? Because, see, this is a constant everyday deal. What's driving you? When we went through these three days of fasting, some of us came face to face with some of our temptations. We came face to face with some stuff we had to confront. We will comfort ourselves to keep from having to deal with the hard issues. And these comfortings leads to addictions. And what we find ourselves doing is withdrawing instead of being engaging. When lust is conceived, it does what? Brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So you see a progression. You see a progression. It starts in the area of an issue or lust or desire. And then it leads to something that now creates an issue within us to be satisfied. And then it causes us to step across whatever line we have to step across in order to satisfy it. And next thing you know, we caught. It's like in a trap. Yeshua's statement acknowledges that the man's condition of palsy was the result of sins, and by forgiving the sin, the palsy would have to leave. Verse 3, And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. When Yeshua puts his authority over sin on display, in the midst of the scribes, the religious righteous, they accuse him of blasphemy. The religious righteous get their authority from their religion, their denominational doctrine from their belief systems. I remember looking back in the day when I first encountered televangelists and speaking healing in the churches that I was in and how they said these people were of the devil and these folks speaking in tongues, they're of the devil and blah, blah, blah is of the devil and that's fake and that's fake and that's fake and that's fake. Healings were fake, propped. They would find somebody who was actually faking it and expose the fake. And after a while, you get to a point to where you think everything is fake. You're not careful. We live in such a condition now to where everything is a conspiracy. We don't believe much of nothing no more. There's some kind of root issue behind everything. And if you don't come up with one, somebody else will come up with one because there are people we live by, live with, are surrounded by. Everything is a conspiracy. 
Everything is a conspiracy of some sort. Well, you can't believe that. You got fake news, fake media, and you do have fake news and fake media. And you got fake people. You got fake prophets, fake brothers, fake sisters. You got a lot of fake. But let me tell you something. Fake is evident of a real. There would be no counterfeit if there were no real. The goal is not to get caught up in the counterfeit. The goal is to focus on the real. Religion is a counterfeit. The only real is the words that come out of the mouth of the Almighty. What did he say? Man shall not live by bread alone. Now notice what he says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Jehovah. So what is he saying? There's two means by which we get fed. The bread or his word. Most of the bread that we have eaten have come out of the mouth of our religious parents. And I'm not just saying your mom and your dad. I'm talking about the people who preach to you. Why? Because they feeding you. This is what we were taught. We were fed. Your doctrines, your belief systems, they were fed to you. How? By words. These words that came out of men got into your system and began to spiritually nourish you. Now, these words may be associated with the word, but they may be a slight deviation from the word. And because most of us didn't know how to hear from him, we listen to those people who claim to hear from him. We don't know how to judge unless we go to that which is righteous and compare it to the things that we hear. So now when I look at, because I'm going to tell you, we're surrounded, we're we're surrounded by teachings and doctrines and belief systems. And each week, every day I'm getting in, well, not every day, but, but practically every week I'm getting in trouble with people because I'm confronting issues that has exposed itself as having a, 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 a prima facie or a appearance of real. When the fact of the matter is, is that it's religion. And this is the danger. This is the danger of traditions. Because it doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what race you come from, what country you were born in. You got ancestors. And ancestors has passed traditions down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And because of your nationality, the assumption is, is that these traditions is a part of who you are. And then the people who are part of that, 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 that world, that, that ecosystem that you were brought up in, this is how they think, this is how they behave, this is how they act, and they expect the same from you. Because they act and and expect this from you. There's traditions. And now you have to either align yourself with those traditions. Or you shun those traditions and now you become an outcast. 
most of us want to fit in. Many of us don't have a choice because if you're brought in a brought up in a house, you're just you're just bound to that. Because this is what is expected of you. And so man should not live by bread alone. But most of us who've been in church have been fed the bread of our religion. We've been fed the bread, the doctrines of those who, who, who were set up in front of us to teach us. And this is what nourished us as a person. You either been nourished as a Baptist, nourished as a Pentecostal, nourished as a charismatic, nourished as a church of God, nourished as, as a Catholic, whatever religion you've been nourished in that religion. And when you move from religion to religion, you pick up bread, you, you, you pick up breadcrumbs. And before it's over, you will formulate your own doctrine. People take pride in the fact, well, you know, I just listen to a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, you know, I, I just I don't listen to any one person. I'm glad Yeshua's disciples weren't like that. I just take a little bit of what Yeshua say, a little bit of what the Pharisees say, a little bit of what the scribes say. And I got my own thing. I, maybe Judas was like that. I don't know. But he seemed to have had a different agenda. Yeshua's authority came from Yehovah. Remember, Yeshua taught with authority, not like the scribes, and he walked in the authority. The religious righteous are always trying to humble you, put you in your place, suppress you and the authority you have been given. Religious people appear pious to the naked eye, but think evil in their hearts. Because you don't know what they're thinking. You just know what they say. And this is where the discernment of spirit come in, because Yeshua, when he came into the environment's he could perceive what was in their heart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit showed it. He didn't start his ministry before he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the point in having the Holy Spirit if you don't rely on the Holy Spirit? And when's the last time you relied on the Holy Spirit? How often do you rely on the Holy Spirit? Do you even recognize the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you know how he communicates to you? How he communes to you? Do you go through your day without really being mindful of the fact that he's right there with you? Because it's easy to do. Why? Because we walk by sight. And what he's trying to get us to, to, to a place is like, listen, I know you got some issues and you're trying to deal with them. But let me tell you some. Trust me. I've been down this road before. I know how to deal with these people. The battle is not yours. I've already fought the way. I've already laid out the path. Now, all you got to do is just just let me order your steps, because if you let me order your steps, you will have a whole lot less regrets than what you have. The reason why you got a lot of regrets in your life is because you've ordered your own steps. How does that work for you? You got you where you are. You had a little help. You just didn't know you had help. And all the stuff you said and all the stuff you did and all the schemes that you schemed and the plans that you plan, they all involve trying to control somebody else. And when those people didn't align themselves with your control mechanisms, it threw your works out of work. And now you got issues, memories, 
history, feelings, emotions, guilt, shame, condemnation, trust issues, mommy issues, daddy issues, sibling issues, life issues, mental issues. <laughs> and then let's just keep going. And when do we learn our way don't work? At what point do we still try to maintain control over our lives and continue to try to manipulate and control the people in our lives? It ain't worked. It don't work. It won't work. The only person you have control over is you. That's it. And once you have that control, the wisest thing you and I can do is surrender that control to him. Yeshua, knowing their thoughts, said, wherefore think you evil in your hearts? Knowing their thoughts. Yeshua's confidence in his authority when he spoke about sin being forgiven caused the evil in the heart of the scribes to manifest with their words of accusation of blasphemy. They didn't say it out loud. They said it in their heart. This man commits blasphemy. Now, he, he spoke those words and then they manifest. Verse five, for whether it's easy to say the sin, thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and walk. You see the test? You see what he did? He says, your sins are forgiven knowing that these guys are going to... Because what is he trying to demonstrate? He's demonstrating, listen, the Son of Man has power over sin. Why does the Son of Man have power over sin? Because the Son of Man was given power over sin by the Creator. Do you know that you've been given power over sin? Every last one of us. There is nothing in your life that you can't cut out. There's nothing in your life that you can't get rid of. And if you can't get rid of it, don't claim to be saved. Now, you may be being saved. There may be a work started in you, but you're fighting the work. Or you have not come to the realization that your life is not your own anymore. The way you come to the place to where you are no longer fighting him is you surrender to him. Wherever there's a lack of surrender, there's a fight. And wherever there's a fight, there's resistance. Humble yourself. Resist the devil. Don't resist Jehovah. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. There's been times when father has clearly spoke to me and I said, no. You know, you, you know, when you get mad at your, your husband or you get mad at your wife, here's what I found. There's been several times when I've got mad at my, my wife and, and I hear his voice telling me to do something good. Uh-uh. I'm mad. And if I do something good and, and, and I'm mad, that's a sign of weakness. Think about it. Here you are mad at somebody and father's trying to get you to do something good to them or do something good for them. 
take her some flowers. No, that's not because you're in the doghouse. You mad at her. She ain't mad at you. You mad at her. Take her some flowers. Now, I'm not taking no flowers because I'm mad at her. Why aren't you taking flowers? See, what you're doing here is you're resisting the one who is trying to help you. Now, you don't mind him helping you when he's asking you to do something you want to do. It's the stuff he's telling you to do you don't want to do that you got a problem with. <laughs> oh, I'm getting all up in your Kool-Aid today. He says, your sins be forgiven, arise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed and go into thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now, now get the context here. He knew they were going to have a problem with what he said. Now, he could have said, rise up and take your bed and walk. Probably wouldn't have been no issue because other people had been healed. But no, he says, your sins be forgiven. Demonstrating what? He had power over sin. Now, Three perspectives from this story. The religious saw blasphemy. Yeshua saw faith. The people saw power. And there will always be these perspectives at whatever it is, what you see and what somebody else see and what somebody else see. Your perspective is what you have to deal with. But when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified Elohim, which had given such power unto men. What? They marveled at Elohim, who had given such power over men. Now imagine having the power to forgive somebody's sin. Imagine that. Because guess what? James write about confessing our sins. He says, if any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. One of the, one of the things that, that I've, I've had to deal with is you can, you can pray healing over a person and a person could, could receive healing. But if the person is not dealing with the sin that is in their lives, the door for, 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 for sickness is still open. When Yeshua says, as, as he said in Luke, when unclean spirit is driven out and, and that's what sickness is, there's different forms of, of sickness, but it all boils down to uncleanness. That when an unclean spirit has been driven out, it goes through dry places looking for rest. And when it finds no rest, it comes back to the house from which it has been driven out. And then it does what? It goes, if it sees this house swept and garnished, it goes and gets seven more spirits worse than them. And the latter case of that man is worse than the first. What is it saying here? Is that when you drive out that sickness, you're going to have to deal with this house. You're going to have to deal with your thinking. You have to deal with your way of thinking. What is sin? A violation of the law. 
So what does that mean? That means that sickness has come in because I've given place to it. Now, the question is, is where did I give place to it? Some of the cases that the devil has given place to our lives is, is through our parents. There's no question about that. There's cycles. If we're brought up in a certain way, a certain, if you've been brought up in generations of poverty, being in poverty is not an issue for you. You may not like it, but you learn how to survive in poverty. If you were brought up in welfare for a couple of generations, guess what? Being on welfare is not an issue with you. If you were, whatever environment you were brought up in, your environment shapes and molds your way of thinking. And now if there's a bad cycle, you got to identify those cycles and then confront that 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 issue which you were brought up in, which means that now you got to now pull yourself away from what molded you, what shaped you. Guess what? You can't pull yourself away from those things without pulling yourself away from the people who that is a part of who they are. Because the moment you decide that you're not going to think like that and you're not going to act like that anymore is the moment you become holier than thou. That's the moment when you think you become better than them. It's not, no, 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 I'm not trying to become better. You see what happened there? Oh, you think you're better than us? You think, no, 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 no. Well, 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 you better get back in this tub with us. You better get back in this boat with us. You done forgot where you came from. I remember when now. Don't, 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 don't let me go back there. It's like all of these things are designed to keep that new you from ever rising up. And that's who father is calling. He's calling. He's not calling that old man. And guess what? He know, all, he know where the dead bodies are. He know all the lies you done told. He know all the things you've done. It didn't stop him from calling you, did it? Don't think that your, you know, your mama and daddy and them may not know the stuff you did, but he know, he saw it. He was right there with you. Every lie, every deceit, everything you have ever done, he knows it. And that didn't stop him. Why? Because he see you in his light. You see you in your light or in the light that people you allow see you through. I want to get through all of this. Verse nine. And as Yeshua passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. We spoke at length in the beginning of this um, study of Matthew and the introduction. And here's something that we learned about Matthew, that Matthew was also called Levi. That his, his father name is Altheus. His mother's name is is Mary, one of those Marys, and that he has had a brother who was also one of Yeshua's disciples, which was called James the Less. 
And it came to pass, as Yeshua said, at meeting the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Publicans were despised by the Pharisees and others and by virtue of their occupation characterized along with the sinners. Here's Yeshua's response. Now notice what they said. Why do your master eat with publicans and sinners? What's his response? But when Yeshua heard that, he said unto them. Now, now, now notice what. Let me, let me go back. Who are they talking to? When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto who? His disciples. See, Yeshua was aware, brothers and sisters, of what was going on around him. They said to his disciples, he responded. But when Yeshua heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Now, I want you to interpret this the way it is. He's saying, these people are sick. I'm not just hanging out with them. They need a physician. You over there judging them. You won't give them the time of day. And if they depended on you to get well, they're going to be in a whole heap of trouble. Now, you think you well. You see, that's what he's saying to them. It is those who are sick that need a physician. Yeshua ate with publicans and sinners not to hang out and simply have fellowship, but based on his own words, recognizing they were sick and in need of a physician, a healer, and to call to repentance. So if you just got some friends that are just heathens and you're just hanging out with them, you don't understand. That's a misunderstanding of, of, of what your purpose is in their lives. Here's a master lesson from the master. He says, but go ye and learn. Now notice what he says. It's, it's, not, those, it's, it's not those who are whole that need a physician, but those who are sick. And now Yeshua is about to school them. You could read right over this if you're not careful in this next verse, verse 13. He says, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. What? Go ye and learn. He's telling these scribes. Now, these are teachers of the law, right? Now, these are Pharisees. Yeah. And when the Pharisees saw it. So he says to the Pharisees, listen, you need to go and, and, and find out what I said means. What do you mean? Well, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm not called, come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now connect this to what he said earlier, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. So what do you see? You see a people who believe that they're righteous already. And what is he saying? You will not reach those who consider themselves to be righteous. All you do is argue with them. There are things that Father give me to speak. 
And, and I'm speaking and I'm showing people where it's at. We're and, and, and connecting the Torah and the and the and the instructions of Yeshua, who is the manifestation of the law. And folks want to argue. They, they want to debate. But what they're doing, what I've come to realize is a lot of them are arguing from their church doctrine. They're arguing from their belief system. But I don't. That's not how I believe. Well, how'd you come to your belief? See, I know how you came to your belief system because I know how I came to mine. I know how I came to my belief system. When I was a Baptist, the Baptist taught me what to believe. When I was a Pentecostal, the Pentecostal taught me what to believe. When I was in the Lutheran church, the Lutherans wanted to teach me what to believe. The Christian reforms wanted to teach me what to believe. Now the Messianics and the Hebrew roots want to teach me what to believe. Jews want to teach me what to believe. Christians want to teach me what to believe. And I realize that with all these different belief systems, there's a whole lot of different belief systems that don't even agree with the different belief systems that they're surrounded by. And everybody thinks they're right. But there's only one right. And it ain't you. You think you're right, but except your righteousness exceeds. And how do your righteousness exceed the righteousness in which you've been taught? As you look to the righteousness of Jehovah. This is why the law is so important to us. This is why the law is, 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 is gravely important to us. Because that's where the real righteousness of Yah is. When Yeshua says, seek first his righteousness, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, where would you find that? Where his righteousness was? And where is his righteousness? You're going to see. He told Israel, there is not a nation in the world that have statutes and laws as righteous as what you guys have. Nobody. Nobody. The church don't have it. The church got doctrines, founders' doctrines. Let me, let me keep moving. He says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, if you think you're righteous, you won't, you won't see yourself in that category. But Yeshua is speaking to a people in the day that already had their own righteousness and their righteousness was developed through their religious system. And here righteousness was face to face with them, but they chose their righteousness instead of him, the righteous one. In fact, they rejected him and held on to their belief systems. The reason why you and I are where we are is because we have come to the conclusion that we believe some things that weren't right. Do you think that everything you believe right now is right? Are you still are you still checking yourself? Are you still checking your feelings, checking your emotions? 
I'll tell you something else. There are, we are a people who will justify our behavior. We'll find scripture to justify the positions that we are taking, even though consciously, subconsciously, we are being convicted that we're wrong. You will shut down Jehovah, just like you shut down those people you don't like hearing. You'll shut him down. When, when, when he comes at me, it's like, man, oh, man, <laughs> dang, <laughs> here we go again. He says, yeah, Arthur, I know, I know, I know you, 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 this, you this powerful apostle and preacher, but there's still a few things I need to show you about you. I got to teach you some things about you. I got to help you. Why? Because you ain't arrived. And as long as you're in this flesh, there's going to be work to do because you've got a mission. You've got a mission to not only allow me to get you right in these areas, but then you got to expose yourself so that other people can get right in those areas because we're all justified where we are in our own righteousness simply because we believe we're saved, we read the Bible, we pray, we go to service, we keep the Sabbath, we keep the feast. I mean, how much more righteousness is that? <laughs> yeah, but what's happening in you? In you? Are, you, are, you, are you monitoring what's going on in you? Because see, when I expose some things in you that you don't like about you, what do you do about it? Do you cover it up? Do you make excuses? Do you try to justify it? Can I, can I let you in on something? Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we try to justify our position. You know how? Know why? Because at least I'm not like that. At least I'm not like him. I'm not like her. I mean, I could be a whole lot worse than I am. Oh, so that makes you okay? Because you could be a whole lot worse than you are? You'll find somebody who's in worse shape. And you don't have to look far. You don't have to look far at all. You got some go-tos. They just come up automatically. So what does he say? Go ye and learn what that means. So now what Yeshua does, and I'm, and I'm almost at the end of this, is he is bringing them to a place to where he's saying, go ye and learn what that means. He gives them I will have mercy and not sacrifice. So what does he say? These people that are judging him, sitting at Matthew's house, eating with these publicans and sinners, is ready to write them off. Yeshua is saying, no, they need a doctor. You won't deal with them. I'm going to deal with them. You're ready to sacrifice them, but I'm going to show them mercy. 
And he says, go and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Where would I learn that? Hosea, Hosea 6, 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goes forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice. Those words would have invoked in the mind of these religious leaders. You know the word? What does the prophet say? What I just said, Yeshua saying, go find out what that means. I'm quoting from the prophet. Now, when they go to the prophet and they see why father said these things, what it should do is cause them to realize your ancestors was a mess and you just like them. Ephraim and Judah. You could say we're the Jews in the house of Israel in the lost tribe. No, he says both of y'all. Your daddy, your granddaddy, your great-granddaddy, all of y'all. Now, if you learn anything about what I'm saying, you wouldn't behave like that toward these people. I'm not here to try to justify their sinfulness. They're operating in sin because they're sick. They need some help. And if you, if, if nobody, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Can I just let y'all in on a little secret? I counsel people all the time. We some messed up folk. I have to counsel myself because I'm messed up. And I see my messed upness. You know how I see my messed upness? Because I deal with people. And I come to realize, man, we all messed up up in here. We are. We some messed up folks. And once we get messed up, do you know that we try to operate out of that messed upness? We, we, we try to live and putt putt and get through messed up. Why? Because we don't know any other way. If, if, if somebody don't help us, we're going to remain like we are. But to keep from remaining like we are, we got to let somebody help us. Well, who do I trust? You see? It's just me and the Lord. No, it's not. That's where body comes in. That's where community comes in. I'm almost done. It says, I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goes forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of Elohim more than burnt offerings. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high Elohim? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves of a year old? Will Jehovah be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's like, what are you willing to do? See, I'm going to tell you something. Some people would rather sacrifice all their stuff than change. It's easy to just give you some money. It's easy to throw something at it, but don't deal with it. And he said, no, that's not what I'm looking for. He has shown the old man what is good. And what does Jehovah require of you but to do justly? 
to love mercy and to walk humbly. You know, if I do just, if I do just, if I do just, I'm not going to have issues with you. If, if I love mercy, guess what? I'm going to be merciful to your wrongdoing. See, when you do wrong, even though you may have done wrong to me, you've done wrong to yourself. Now, you can hold you in bondage, but I'm not going to allow you to hold me in bondage. So I have to, I have to deal with the wrongs people have done to me. And I'm going to tell you something. When people have done you wrong, you carry, a, you carry something in you. It hurts. You don't want to be hurt no more. So you got a reminder of the hurt that others have done and you're guarded. It's a self-protection. And it's hard to be merciful toward the people who have wronged you. Especially if they've wronged you over and over. He says, to do just, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy Elohim. And then... In Matthew, we jump ahead a little bit. He says, he says to these Pharisees, he says, but, but if you had known what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Who did they condemn? Him. Who was guiltless? He was the only one who was, condi- who was guiltless. Because these individuals weren't just, because they weren't humble, because they didn't, didn't, didn't walk in mercy, they condemned the one who came to save. And do you know, when we reject what he's calling us to do, we condemn him too. Ask yourself, is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything he can't fix? Is there any heart he can't change? Yeshua not only had authority over sin, but he gave us that authority. Not only over our own sins, but the power to forgive others and to release them from the bondage of sin. He gave us power over the devil and his angels. Just as Jehovah told Abraham, Adam, sin crouched at his door, but he must master it. Remember in Genesis 4, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In the very beginning, when Adam sinned and then his son, Cain, murdered his brother, Abel, because of the offering, Cain, he said, listen, sin is lying at your door. It's waiting at the entry point. Sin is waiting for an entrance. But you have to Master it. You have to master him. What do you have to do? See, one of the things about this sin, the way it is, is described, and this is why I, here's one of those cases where I reveal the origin of a word. It's katoth, the, the origin of the word. Of course, it says sin. And, and when we talk about the, the um, first mentioned principle of, in, of biblical interpretation, looking at the origin of a word, that word, that kata comes from a root, and the context of that root is offense. 
The context of that root is offense. We must rule over offenses. We must not allow offenses to rule over or conquer us. And the way we do that is forgiveness. The word there has come from the word kata, which is to go wrong, to incur guilt. And if you look at the usages there, you'll see offended, blame, offender. Most of us blame people. Offenses are going to come. Offenses are going to come. But you make a choice on whether you're going to be offended. Do you know you choose to be offended? And once you let that offense in, you got a problem. Because whoever the offense came by in you is the person you have an issue with. You see what happened? Father says, offenses is waiting for an entrance. Offenses is waiting at the door. Is waiting for an entrance. But you got to master it. How do you do that? Choose not to take offense. Because the moment you take offense, it's hard to walk just toward that person. It's hard to show mercy. And most folks' issues are offenses. Those offenses may go way back, whatever the case. Romans says, 5.17, offense is sin. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, and that's Messiah Yeshua. The righteousness is defined in the Hebrew as sadaka. And it deals with a, a variety of issues, but this is, this is righteousness that is coming from the Almighty. The Bible says Abraham believed Jehovah and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. And so when it comes to being in right standing with the Almighty, righteousness in many cases for people are defined by the person who claims to be righteous. If you believe wearing makeup is wrong, guess what? You will subconsciously judge people who do. If you believe women and men should wear head coverings, you will subconsciously judge or condemn those who don't. Likewise with wearing jewelry. If you don't believe women should wear jewelry or, or whatever. Women wearing pants. Men who are clean shaven. There are many who believe that a man shouldn't shave. They don't understand the context, but that's what they believe. So when they see somebody claiming to be Hebrew roots, then they say, you know, if they don't have a beard, they got a, there's a problem. But see, we, we shouldn't be looking at those kinds of things. Some folks say, well, if you eat meat, something's wrong with that. If you're a vegetarian, something's wrong with that. And these are doctrines that people derive from their own interpretation of Scripture. But there are certain doctrines that are clear. You know, if, if, if a person doesn't wear seat seat, that's a command. Whether or not a person chooses to eat meat or not, that's their choice. But there are people who believe you, if you eat meat, you ain't saved. People derive doctrines from their teachings, and some of these doctrines don't align with what is written. It is religious righteous when you try to hold people accountable to actions that are not clearly a violation of Scripture. Yeshua forgave sins and was accused of blasphemy. In verse 20, uh, 23 of John chapter 20, we've been given power to forgive the sins of men, just like Yeshua. 
Verse 22, John, we went over this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. Religious righteousness, according to Matthew 23, 27, warned to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And this is why we have to monitor us, our thinking. The law of Jehovah is righteous according to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4.8. And what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? If you want to know what righteousness is so you know what to seek, his law is righteous. If I'm going to seek him first, what am I going to seek? First, his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to seek him and his law. That's what I'm going to seek. Faith established the law. Romans 3.31. Do we then make void the law through faith? No, God forbid. Yea, we established the law. And I do believe that, well, there's, there's a couple of more. Righteous sinners hide their sin. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. He that covers his sin shall not prosper. See, if you got hidden sins, secret sins, stuff that you're, you're you, you, you know, that is operating in darkness in you, it hinders your prosperity. You can put all these principles and all this stuff to work and, 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 and buy all these programs, but if you got hidden sin in your heart, it hinders your prosperity according to the scriptures. So what do we have to do? We have to deal with that stuff in us, brothers and sisters. We can't let this stuff hang out. Religious righteous minimize their sin or refuse to see their sin as it really is. Righteous sinners will attempt to justify their sin. Well, the only reason why I did that is because. Was it right? Well, it may not be right, but this is why I did it. Well, is it right? Well, I'm not saying it's right, but that is it. Then, then, then why don't you repent? If it's not right, why are you defending it? Why are you justifying it? First Corinthians six, nine, know you not that the right unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of Elohim. And this is my, I, I got one more passage after this and I'll be done. Be not deceived. And here's the thing that I, that I, this is as New Testament as you can get. Do you know that there are a lot of folks who commit fornication who believe they love God? They believe they love God. Matter of fact, you can't convince them that they don't. You got man and woman living together. They're not married. They believe they love God. They go to church. Serve in the church, serve in the ministry. Some of them are in ministry. And yet, it says, listen, if, if you are a fornicator or an idolater or an adulterer or an infeminate or an abuser of self with mankind, a thief, a covet, a drunkard, a reviler, an extortioner, why are you in the church? Because I'm going to tell you, if you hang out in these kinds of environments with this, 
you have justified yourself as a person of faith, even though you will not inherit the kingdom and yet be in church. I want you to see the sickness of the thinking of people that we know that are operating in these areas and go to church every Sunday and synagogue every Sabbath. Why? I mean, if you're going to go through this, why don't you allow the word to change you? Why don't you allow him to deal with you? Why are you going through these motions and you got all this darkness in your heart and the Bible that you read in this New Testament context that you will not inherit the kingdom and yet for some reason you're convinced you will? That's a lie. People are accustomed to lying to themselves because that's exactly what religion does to people. It convinces them to believe something that is contrary to what is written. And you can't tell them they're going to hell because you're going to hell because you didn't fall from grace. Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. It's obvious, brothers and sisters, just look. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, reviling, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom. How can you have these things operational within you? Love covers sin, 1 Peter. Grace confronts it. Love covers sin. Grace confronts it. The grace of Jehovah that saves. Grace does not give license to give in to the works of the flesh. For the grace of Elohim that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So what, is, what does grace teach us? Grace confronts ungodliness. Grace confronts worldly lust. Grace confronts the lack of sobriety. Grace confronts unrighteousness. Grace and confronts godlessness. These are the things that keep us from inheriting the kingdom. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great Elohim and our Savior, Yeshua Messiah. And that's it. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free eBooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.